Please speak with your healthcare team before making any changes to your diabetes management. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. This information and other content provided in this podcast or in any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has a medical concern, you should consult your healthcare provider or seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something that you have heard in this podcast or read in any linked materials. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast and website have no relation to those of any academic hospital, healthcare practice, or other institution. Please consult the Omnipod 5 Automated Insulin Delivery System User Guide for more information. The guest speaker for this episode is an employee of Insulate. Hi, I'm Dina Gottesman. And I'm Nancy Hanna. Welcome back to Beyond the Bolus. This is part two of our fact or fake news episode where we debunk common misconceptions about the Omnipod 5 automated insulin delivery system. In this episode, we're continuing our conversation with Leslie Barrett, Senior Manager of Clinical and Professional Education at Insulet, about everyday use of the Omnipod 5 system. If you listen to part one, you already know the drill. Nancy and I will be going through some misconceptions we commonly come across from providers and patients. If the statement is fact, you'll hear this. But if the statement is fake news, you'll hear this. Welcome back, Leslie. Okay, let's talk about everyday use. So fact or fake news, the user of the Omnipod 5 system must have the Omnipod 5 controller or Omnipod 5 app on their compatible smartphone on their body at all time. That's fake news. They do not need to have it on their body or on their person at all times. Insulet made a very conscious decision for the algorithm, our smart adjust technology to be embedded in the pod for this very reason. And so automated insulin delivery occurs entirely on body. Remember that Dexcom CGM sends glucose values over to the pod every five minutes and that pod makes the dosing decision. And all that is done via Bluetooth technology. So let me give you an example. Let's say there's a two-year-old because, you know, we've all seen two-year-olds on the playground and how they kind to tear through and have fun. Or let's say somebody's spending a day at the beach, even though, you know, it's kind of cold here now. Let's pretend. Let's pretend we're in the Bahamas, right? We're somewhere beautiful and warm. Kids on a playground. Let's say they go out of range of their Dexcom app on their phone and the Omnipod 5 app is in a backpack or in a diaper bag. Or somebody's at the beach and they're leaving. What I like to tell my patients is you're leaving your controller, your Omnipod 5 app, and your uh, smartphone on dry land to go in for a swim. What happens then with the algorithm? Are they staying in automated mode. Yes, absolutely. They're staying in automated mode. Automated insulin delivery is occurring independent of that controller or independent of that Omnipod 5 app on their compatible smartphone in that case. And so they're still receiving full AID, full automated insulin delivery, even outside of the proximity of that controller or that app. What I will mention is we just want to make sure that the user can hear alerts and alarms for safety, right? So I, I like to point that out. They just need to have it within five feet for bolusing. So I think 
the way we're used to traditionally thinking about the Omnipod systems is a, a way we can think of this is that that doesn't change with an AID system for us at Inslet. They can still just use that Omnipod 5 app for sending commands to the pod, but otherwise AID is occurring independently of that app or that controller. Can I just say, that is so cool. I always tell yeah. people like the brains of the system is on the pod itself, whether it's an Omnipod Dash, whether it's an Omnipod Classic, whether it's an Omnipod 5. But the fact that the algorithm is right on the pod and the user is wearing their Dexcom and the Dexcom's talking to the pod means that even if they're away from, yes, we don't want them to be away from their devices for too long because they won't hear the alarms and things like that, they're still in automated mode. So if you have little Johnny forgetting his controller or his phone or whatever on the coffee table and running out to the school bus, Johnny's still in automated mode, most likely. Right? You can't overstate how remarkable that is, right? Yeah. So cool. Dina, isn't that it exciting? It really is. I just got a call the other day from a doctor who said they were so surprised that the their patient, they left the house without it and they were, they came back and they said, it was still working. <laughs> And they were, they were very, so cool. uh, very pleasantly surprised, despite the fact that I had told them already that. But it's one of the many special things about Omnipod 5. It's novel. It really is. It's super cool. One thing to mention on this topic is we really want to make sure we have great connectivity between the devices, right, in that case. So making sure that we think about site placement for the pod and the CGM can be really helpful. The CGM, remember, is communicating with that pod and sending that information over. And so we want to make sure that the CGM can talk to the pod, right? And that Bluetooth communication can be signaled between the devices. So we want to make sure in that case that the CGM and pod are placed on the same plane of the body or within line of sight to each other. So the way I've heard this worded before that I I always use in his example myself is that if the devices have eyes, they should be able to see one another. And that's because Bluetooth doesn't travel well necessarily through our body. So it's good to, when you're training, think of examples for placement, what that means to have them on the same plane of the body. I'm sure you guys kind of walk users through that. I always say they need to be able to see each other to talk to each other. If they have eyes, can they yeah, see and look know, deeply and I, into one another's I think eyes? Because the pod has so many places that it can go. You know, I've I've had folks that wear their, you know, they wear their Dexcom on their right side of their belly, and then they put the pot on the right side of their arm, and it actually still works because, you know, the way that our bodies are, those devices are still able to see each other. And I think that is such a, I would almost say that that's probably one of the number one challenges or or issues that a lot of folks are having when they're having connectivity issues. Thinking about where where you can put it and perhaps potters who are used to just putting their pods anywhere, you know, they now have to take that into consideration. I sort of call it the the choreography of the pod change, right? You kind of it's like a dance, right? You have to think about the pods on for only 2 to 3 days, the decks comes on for 10 days. Where are they going to be able to partner together? And I think that that's such a important point that we cannot stress enough as far as troubleshooting. Oh, it's not working because they're not connecting. You know, well, let's let's talk about that a little bit and think about where you're putting your devices. I think that's one of the most important things that we that we go through during certainly during our training, but as providers who might be listening when they're troubleshooting with their patients to understand, well, where where are the devices because they need to be able to talk to each other. Dina, I will forever remember the choreography of the pod change. <laughs> I think that's a really lovely <laughs> phrase. Yeah, it can it can take 
some planning. It can take some choreography. And because the pot is still changed every three days, the Dexcom is changed every 10 days. So when you think of line of sight, just providing, you know, examples can be helpful and using both sides of the abdomen, right? Or the abdomen for the Dexcom and the top of the thigh for the pot and just walking them through these kind of real life practical examples can be helpful so that they have their own choreographed um, routine as well that they can implement. That makes me so happy. (laughs) What happens when they lose sight? That's great to bring up because I think, you know, every system behaves a little bit differently with this, with AID systems too. What happens when they do lose connection? Ours is a little bit unique with Omnipod 5. They go into this state. They're not kicked out of automated mode. They're still in automated mode, but they go into this state within automated mode called automated limited. And it's when that pod is not receiving CGM values from the Dexcom. So what happens is the Omnipod 5 system delivers insulin based on this evaluation that it does. And it looks at the user entered manual mode basal rates, and it also looks at the user's adaptive basal rate. So it delivers insulin based on an evaluation between the two of those. And then what's kind of nifty is that when CGM values return, then the system begins automatically automating insulin delivery fully again without the user having to do anything on their own. The user doesn't have to make any switches into different modes. They're still in automated mode in that case. So even for like a two-hour sensor warm-up, for instance, for the Dexcom, they'll go into this state called automated mode limited. It's not just for connectivity between the devices if they're not on the same plane of the body, but other real life scenarios, right? Like a two hour sensor warm up and the pod isn't receiving Dexcom readings in that case. And so it goes into this automated mode limited and they're not kicked out. They're not kicked out of automated. I had a hard time sort of wrapping my head around what is limited mode mean. And it really is this like intermediary state where it's deciding it's still automated because it's making decisions, right? The decision, however, is making is between which is going to be giving less insulin, right? Which is the safer bet for that for the waiting period. And it will immediately call you in to the to the room when it when it receives the numbers. And for me, that was like a really resonant visual in terms of what is happening there. But that's still manual mode. Well, it's not quite manual mode. It's this in-between period. And I think that sort of wrapping your head around it in that way is, is very helpful. And it's a really cool feature because every 10 days, they're going to be for two hours, you know, in limited mode because they're, they're not getting that sensor. But as soon as... The sensor is warming up, right? It will automatically put them into automated mode. It's a more kind of advanced or nifty implementation than just reverting back to manual mode in those in those instances. I remember when there was an AID system that was launched many years ago and I was a nurse in an endocrine clinic and I would get the feedback from patients that they were so frustrated of being kicked out of automated mode. That is so frustrating for people when they have this goal in sight and they've been promised all these things about an AID system and they really want to live in automated mode because that's the heaven. It's nice that we have kind of uh, an in-between. I'm not going to say a purgatory because that's, that's, you know, doesn't give quite quite the credit of this automated mode limited. Automated mode limited truly is a unique feature of the Omnipod 5 system and hats off to the people who developed this, really. Hats off. It's a a very technical and kind of cool implementation for for that scenario. I want to just switch gears for a second and talk about bolusing. Very specifically, the combination of a patient who is frustrated with the highs and wants to aggressively overcorrect because they really don't like seeing that high blood sugar. And so they're kind of like, well, I'm just going to 
I'm just going to give a little bit more. And we discourage that. Factor fake news. Users should consider overriding the smart bolus calculator to enable more aggressive correction bolus dosing. What is the answer, Leslie? Fake news. We shouldn't encourage them to override the smart bolus calculator. In that case, for more aggressive correction bolus dosing, we wouldn't recommend this because what could happen is it could potentially result in hypoglycemia for that user. And the reason behind that is that there could be a lot of insulin on board or IOB present, and the system is keeping track of that. And so maybe they go to use the smart bolus calculator, they go to give a correction dose, and the bolus calculator recommends no bolus or zero bolus dose. And it's likely because it's been increasing automated insulin delivery for quite some time in response to that hyperglycemia, right? And it's taking into account that IOB from the automated insulin delivery. So if it recommends no bolus or zero unit bolus, then I really would recommend not overriding in that case and just kind of adhering to that recommendation so that, you know, we we don't run into situations of hypoglycemia in that case where the users just kind of like rage bolusing. But instead, we, we definitely recommend kind of following the bolus calculator recommendations in that case because it is reducing the bolus based on the insulin on board and and we want to make sure safety first. To that point, if it's something that's happening frequently, that usually that's sort of a a symptom, right? So maybe it's the carb ratio needs to get changed. Why are they having to feel like they need to rage bolus every time? What's the behavior or what's going on before that? So it's like sort of full circle here, looking at the big picture, understanding that, you know, if they're only doing it once in a while anyway, that becomes, okay, don't do that. But if it's a really consistent thing, let's talk about the why behind that. And then that could be a solvable problem anyway. That goes back to the smart bolus calculator settings are fully customizable, right? So if we're running high post meal time and we need more insulin for meals, we look at the insulin to carb ratio. If a user is giving a correction bolus and we look at the data management report and they're not coming down, then we know we could adjust the correction factor in that case, right? So like those bolus calculator settings, they're customizable. Yeah, I think, you know, Dina and I have probably run into patients where they've said to us, well, I know that this amount that it's calculating is not going to do it for me. And so it is really kind of a talking about, well, why is that? What's your experience been? Let's look at data together and figure this out. And it's also worth mentioning that users can check the calculation screen within the bolus calculator. So they go to give a bolus, they put in, you know, what they hit UCGM, it might be saying zero units suggested, they can hit on a little link that says calculations to determine, well, why is that? How is it doing the math? I always show that to some of my really savvy patients who want to know the system in and out and their eyes pop out of their heads because they're like, oh, I can see how it's doing the math. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so informative. Totally. I think that's such a great feature to highlight for users who do want more information. Like, why is it calculating a zero when my glucose value is, you know, 191 right now? And it gives you those insights. So it's really helpful to point that out and to use that as a a reference. And I know Dina's been kind of saying the insulin to carb ratio, the insulin to carb ratio, I think sometimes the middle child in the room that kind of gets overlooked sometimes is the correction factor, right? She's the middle child. Middle the child. Correction yeah. factor is the middle <laughs> child. So, you know, it, it's worth also taking a look to see if if the patient is getting a correction and the system wasn't paused before a meal, maybe the insulin to carb ratio is fine. Maybe it's the correction factor, right? Maybe that's what's happening. Let's talk about learning and adapting. Leslie, the Omnipod 5 system will be able to learn the user. Fact or fake news? I would classify that as 
fake news. Let's but- clarify because yeah. I could say learn before. I think we were talking about patients, you know, learning how to use the system. But what's the difference between learning and adapting? Yeah, I think that's a really wonderful distinction. The Omnipod 5 system is adaptive. And that means that adaptive basal rate that informs the algorithm of kind of the user's baseline needs for insulin delivery. It updates with every pod change based on the user's historical insulin delivery, their true insulin delivery needs, what they've been receiving, right? Total Um, daily insulin, right? Yeah, total daily insulin. You got it. So I think if we use the term learns the user, then that can be a bit deceiving. We're really conscious to avoid using that term in all of our training or medical education resources because it can cause some confusion about what the system can and can't actually do. What I mean by that is the algorithm doesn't learn behaviors of the user with whom it's associated. It doesn't learn that every Friday night at the bear at home is pizza night. And, you know, (laughs) I need to give more insulin between the hours of six to seven in that case to, to ramp up for that high fat, high carb meal. Like it doesn't learn like that. Or it doesn't learn that a user is exercising every morning you know, from 6 to 7 a.m. and it needs to automatically plan to pause insulin delivery, you know, Monday through Sunday at that time for them. So it, it doesn't learn those types of behaviors. It is adaptive based on their insulin delivery needs. So it will gradually increase or decrease that adaptive basal rate as needs may change. It's really important to, to kind of make that distinction between learning and adapting for the user to make sure we set expectations properly. What you're saying is it's still a machine. It's not like if I talk about Sesame Street that when as soon as I pull up a Google search, I'm going to see a million things about Sesame Street, right? That's not what's happening here. It's not that it knows, hey, Friday night is pizza night. Just for example, it is still a machine. It's adapting based on insulin delivery, but it's not learning our individual behaviors. It's just learning our it's learning our insulin delivery histories and it adapts based on our bolus needs and our basal needs. So I think it's it's good to kind of make that distinction and make sure that we go through expectation setting about this with the user before they start the system and really through ongoing education and and follow-up. This is one reason why, too, it's really important or crucial that the users go through proper training, that they set up their onboarding account and they schedule their training and just kind of fully complete training so that they're really set up for success at the forefront when they obtain the system and they pick up that prescription, regardless of their prior therapy, right? Whether they're transitioning from Omnipod Dash to Omnipod 5 or another AID system to Omnipod 5, MDI to Omnipod 5, this training is really important for expectation and just kind of understanding, again, what the system can and can't do. I think the expectation setting, we, we drive that home so much because I think it really is critical to success. But what would you say or how would you guide some guide a user or a provider when, you know, we're talking about that, that the system's adapting over time? And obviously, it's, it's not learning at this time at this date, you're going to, you know, you do this. But what if there is one week out of, you know, a two month period, they're going on vacation. What's the sort of expectation for the system usage and adaptivity when they're going to have maybe three pods in that time frame that are not necessarily in line with their total daily insulin? Yeah, that's such a, a practical kind of real life question, right? Like, how does this adaptive basal rate work when a user's routine is off or something like vacation? And I think What's important to mention and kind of call out here is that the adaptive basal rate is one 
of the inputs for smart adjust technology. The adaptive basal rate is largely based on the user's insulin delivery history from the last several pods, but the algorithm is not only just delivering the adaptive basal rate, and that's the only consideration. No, it's very dynamic. It's looking at the adaptive basal rate in the TDI. It's looking at the user's current and predicted glucose values. It's looking at the current insulin on board. And from there, it's going to increase, decrease, or pause insulin delivery for that user. So I think what's reassuring is the adaptive basal rate changes are, they're gradual, right? And it's just one input. It just serves as that baseline, right? That foundation from which the algorithm or that smart adjust technology can then increase, decrease, or pause insulin. So it'll continue to kind of gradually adjust as the user's schedule adjusts and their insulin needs adjust. And the adaptive basal rate will make those gradual adjustments as the user then returns to their normal routine. So that that's how I would answer kind of questions about vacation or changes awesome. in routine. So tell us overall, as we're kind of getting ready to wrap up, what can clinicians do to help enable the success of the users and their patients? If I think I had to pick one theme for today's podcast, I think I'd wrap it up as expectation setting and understanding what automated insulin delivery systems and the Omnipod 5 system can do and what is expected of the user too. What can it not do that the user would have to do for themselves? That these aren't set it and forget it systems, but they are in fact designed to decrease the burden of management of type 1 diabetes. They're designed to help improve time and range, the amount of time the user is between 70 to 180 milligrams per deciliter. But that doesn't mean that the user just gives the reins to Omnipod 5 and and now they don't have to bolus or count carbs or deliver insulin for, for snacks, right? So we would just want to make sure that, that those expectations are kind of reiterated. And we mentioned before that every AID system functions a little bit differently. They're all wonderful tools for, for diabetes technology and for the management of type 1 diabetes, but it's good to communicate these differences or these nuances as individuals transition from one AID device to the next so that they, again, kind of know what to expect with the new therapy. So those would be my finishing thoughts, I think. That's very well said. It's just such an overwhelming time to be in diabetes management. And there's so many cool things happening and the future is very exciting. And I think for us to have such a cool role and, and part in this right now, and you know, with all of the things that we talked about today, expectation setting, really, that resonates very much with me. <laughs> Thank you again, Leslie, for joining us and playing along. This episode really highlighted aspects of the Omnipod 5 system that are important for optimizing time and range while using the Omnipod 5 system and a better understanding of how to further fine-tune the settings and behaviors to optimize outcomes. Nancy, we did it. That's a wrap on season one of Beyond the Bolus podcast. What a fun and amazing journey it's been. But this doesn't have to be the end for you, listeners. Go back and listen to some of our previous episodes where we have candid conversations live from the ADA conference, where we discuss the future of clinical data and new technology. Bye, everyone. <laughs>